Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. A science story, huh? It was that tall. golden moment. Because science was on my side. Hi everyone, I'm Ben Lilly, and welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true personal stories about science. This week's story is from Patrick Freeman. It was recorded at the North American Congress for Conservation and Biology in Madison, Wisconsin, as part of a show we produced in partnership with the Society for Conservation Biology. I freaking love elephants. I have been in love with elephants since I was tiny. I begin every talk that I do with a picture of me as a three-year-old in a pith helmet next to this taxidermy baby elephant at a museum that my grandmother took me to, and I am just beaming. And I knew when I started college that I wanted to study elephants. And so I actually managed to find a professor at Stanford who was known to take an undergraduate with her every year to her field site to study elephants. And I, like any good undergrad would do, is I pestered her incessantly for a year, did some data entry projects, and she decided to take me on. And so I got to wing wing my way to Africa. Uh, I got to go to Namibia, to Atasha National Park in um, northern Namibia and southern Africa. And the study site is the most beautiful place I think, almost in the world. It's a huge clearing uh, in the brush, kind of desert-type environment with crisscrossed just with animal paths. And it's just beautiful. At sunset, the sky turns pink from the dust in the air, and it's just incredible. About, I don't know, a little ways away from the water hole that sits in its center, we have a research tower in a camp that's 10 meters by 10 meters, which, by looking at the stage, is maybe twice, maybe two and a half times that size, ringed in tarps and a solar-powered electric fence to keep all the lions out. And there's a 30-foot research tower right in the middle uh, where we sit there and watch elephants all day. It was basically paradise (laughs) for me. Um, And I got there and I found myself at home. I was getting into a rhythm. I It was largely dictated by elephant time. So elephants would come in soon after lunch. We'd sit there and watch them. The main thrust of the research at the time was looking at the building of social relationships and dominance hierarchies in a particularly social group of bull elephants. And what that requires is many, many, many hours of careful observation of small behavioral cues, everything from the small glance over the shoulder in a threat, back off, bud, or it could be something like putting your trunk over somebody's back, which is a show of affection. And you don't pick up on these things always because elephants at once can move imperceptibly slow, but also lightning fast. Uh, 
and you can't look away or you're going to miss something. And I just found that beautiful interaction of these elephants interacting, building their relationships, knit into the social fabric, just fascinating. And so I was about two and a half weeks into my study, my five-week study season, my first field season ever. Uh, I was living the life, you know, washing myself and my socks and half a gallon of water, having close calls with lions. This was the life. I was like, yes, I'm in the wild. Uh, I'm living the life. Um, and I found myself getting interested in just how rhythmic I I had been living my life, you know, I'd watch elephants all afternoon, and then in the evening, I'd grind up some elephant crap, because we were looking at hormones and parasites, and then I'd wash my hands, because anthrax is an elephant poop in Atasha, which is important to remember, and <laughs> um, I'd, I'd go to bed, and it was cold, so you just kind of climb in your tent at around 7.30, and you're just in bed, and you think a lot. So we were about two and a half weeks into the season, and we just finished this really, really intense observation session where there were 16 male elephants at the waterhole. My advisor is firing off observations to me. Uh, I'm punching them into our computer, and I'm trying to catch pictures of the animals that are doing things in front of me. And we finish. We finish the observation session. The last bull elephant walks away. And what I'm just so interested in is this, these micro interactions that are really the glue that keeps elephants together. And as I'm thinking about that, my advisor says, hey, your dad emailed me. Do you want to read? She was the only one with internet at the time on her Blackberry. And so she hands me her Blackberry. And I say, well, that's weird. What's, what's going on with that? And I start to scroll through the, the Blackberry with a little ball thing and it feels like somebody kicks me in the stomach. My grandfather passed away from a heart attack um, after gardening. He sat down in his car, or sorry, he sat down in his garden and never got back up again. That's hard news to receive when you're half a world away from your social network. I'd seen my grandfather just before I left for the field, and he was extremely excited for me to finally go be doing what I really wanted to do, to study elephants in the wild. You know, I'd brought my elephant toys with me to play safari in the backyard more times than I could remember. And so he was so excited, and he was this huge man. He had a barrel chest and jowls that could rival a bulldog and his ears. <laughs> he called him the Freeman ears, and I'm luckily in possession of a pair that were <laughs> growing longer every year. And I'm hoping that mine stop at some point. But I just had all of these things going through my head. And as I left on our last, vi last visit, he stood out on his, on his driveway like he always did and waved me goodbye. I called my dad soon after I read the email, and we had our cry hemispheres apart. And after that, my tear ducts and my brain didn't seem to be communicating. And every time I felt like I was going to cry, I'd step inside my tent, the only private place other than the latrine. And as soon as I was about to close the door, my tears would dry up. It was a disjointed grieving for a man who was important to me and I felt deserved so much more than two-second sniffles. And so, tossing and turning, I was just rushing through this process, trying to learn how to grieve. I hadn't lost a relative since I was eight. 
I lost my maternal grandmother and stubbornly refused to believe that my grandparents were immortal and that they would never leave. And so thus I was trying to learn how to grieve surrounded by people I wasn't that close to, miles away from my own social fabric, immersed in the social fabric of another species. It was such a contrast. And I was just distraught. I was filled with questions, just rapid-fire questions. Should I have stayed longer on that last visit, had another cup of coffee, held on longer in that hug, trying to find those big relationship-defining moments that are supposed to really characterize who you relate to before my grandfather's memory left my brain. I, I couldn't sleep for a few nights, and so I decided to hang out on the research floor about 12, 15 feet off the ground for the night. It was dark, it was cold, and everybody else had gone to bed. And I just wanted some peace of mind to evolve out of those night sounds, this beautiful plovers and the jackal calls, something. And I was sitting there, and about an hour and a half into this chilly nighttime vigil, I thought I saw a smudge out on the edge of the clearing, and I brought my binoculars up to my eyes, and lo and behold, I was like, oh, oh, is it an elephant? Because you get excited when you see elephants in the field. <laughs> I get excited. And... <laughs> And I was like, oh, it's an elephant. Good. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a giraffe. Don't ask me how I mix the two up. Happens. So I, I kind of think... there. Okay, I had starlight to go on, not moonlight. New moon. I'm going to use that as my excuse. And um, I kind of figure it was nature's way of telling me that I'd gotten a little bit too cocky. That I knew a little bit... Thought I knew a little bit too much about how nature worked, how the world worked, and what it could throw at you unexpectedly. So I kind of grinned sheepishly to myself and settled back into my chair and cold. And not sooner that I sat down, there was a swish to my, to my right, and I whip around, and a huge bull elephant, the biggest one I had seen that season, had appeared somehow next to camp, just out of the darkness, surprising me. And he just sauntered his way through to the waterhole. He shifted his ears against his shoulders and started doing this floppy walk thing, which was like excited elephant, like, I'm going to get a drink. <laughs> and I kind of smiled to myself, and I was like, oh, cool. Like, I get to spend a little time just me with this elephant, you know, some elephant time. And as I sit there, he, he's repeatedly drinking out of the water trough, um, taking a big, long drink in his trunk, putting it in his mouth, and I can hear the drops dripping on the concrete at his feet. It's this natural tick-tock, tick-tock. And I'd found that I'd become arrived in this meditative state where I'd slowed down, slowed my emotions down, slowed my reactions down, slowed everything down. And... I was living in this other world almost for a moment where I allowed myself to cry. I finally had my cry, not the heaving, contracting cry of grief, but rather just feelings. And sitting there with that elephant, I realized that I'd been brought into this more contemplative slower-paced existence. It's night elephant time. They seem to move slower. They th seem to think a little bit more at night. And I found myself poking around in my memories. I wasn't looking for those big moments anymore. 
I was finding the small memories in the nooks and crannies, how I made cookie dough in a small pink house with him when I was four or five, how I played with my two favorite dinosaurs on the floor of that same house with him, how his hugs felt. And it was in that moment that I realized that this elephant had given me time, had taught me that we can be more intentional in the way that we interact with each other, to value those small interactions, those micro interactions that act as the glue that brings us together. That we don't need to think about your 18th birthday or that time that you graduated and your grandfather was there, but it's about the cookie dough and it's about the dinosaurs. It's about the hugs and the coffee. And I just sat there as the elephant took a big chunk of dust in his trunk and tossed it over his back almost as a goodbye and sauntered out of the, out of the clearing. And I just felt myself relieved. I had calmed down. I was closer to the memories of my grandfather. And I was thankful as I find myself five years on still studying elephants, still learning their lessons. Thank you. That was Patrick Freeman. Patrick is a research assistant at the Carnegie Institute for Science in the Department of Global Ecology. He specializes in sub-Saharan wildlife ecology and has spent numerous field sessions observing elephants in Namibia, South Africa, and most recently in Kenya. He's an avid wildlife photographer. Follow him at at PT Freeman. Thanks to the Society for Conservation Biology for sponsoring the show. The SCB is an international professional organization dedicated to advancing the science and practice of conserving the Earth's biological diversity. Find out more at conbio.org. If you enjoyed today's show or are a fan of the podcast, please consider writing us a review on iTunes. It's a great way to help new listeners find the podcast, and we love sharing those stories. We're also grateful for the support of the Simons Foundation, who helped make all of this possible. The Story Collider is produced by me, Brian Weck, Darren Barker, Ari Daniel, Christine Gentry, Skylar Bear, Shane Hanlon, Rosie Waldron, and Liz Neely with help from Ariel Miller. The podcast is produced by Rose Eveleth, and the theme music is by Ghost. Special thanks to the Wisconsin Institute for Discovery for hosting the show and to Microinteractions for being elephant glue. Thanks for listening. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast.